In this episode of The Story of the Six, Guru Gobind Singh completes his divine mission by creating the Khalsa. We will learn about the momentous Vaisakhi of 1699 and the import of what Guru Gobind Singh wrought on that day. I'm co-producer Erica Wong. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. March 30th, 1699, Guru Gobind Singh had called a large assembly of the faithful in Anandpur. Rich carpets had been spread on a raised mound, and adjacent to it, tents were pitched. The poet Kuer Singh writes in the Gurbila Padshahi Dasmi, Rain payan so din chadeo, Jage sakal nar nar, Vesa ki ke daras par, Sangat mili apar. Passes the night and dawns the day, Men and women are awake, Vesaki day to behold, Countless their way make. Achal purak ko tak ye ki na, Jete bol sang sab li na, Mile aan jab adhik apara, Dipt jodh keh badan sudhara. Guileless one this miracle wrought, spoke he to the gathering fine. Multitudes came to meet him, bathed they in his light divine. Sanamukapura sikhe koi, si sabhet gurudeve soi, yesun hukum adik bahubhara, bhayo bisam ye sakal sansara. Is there here a sikh who's true? Who will to me his head gift? Order fierce heard understood, spread of wonder very swift. Teen beer sri mukhajab kahyo, paan jod sevak ik ayo. Gehta ki bhuj khadak nikareo, tej adhik e bidtan dhareo. Three times spoke the guru thus, folded hands one took the stage. Wielding the Guru naked sword, body of fire, glory and rage. Jhatka kare aja sutjai, rudra parva chaleo tabdhai, sronat pulat khadagakh lai hatha, pun bahar ayo jagannatha. Like a goat the lattice hacked, flood of blood, O smiting sword, in his hands a bloody blade, from the tent appears the Lord. Mangeo avarasis ik aai, yo lak bisme bhai lukai, teen beer satgur jab gayo, sevak nimar ek tab ayo. One more head, the Guru said. The throng beheld him fear and awe, on the Guru's sally third, rose a humble youth all saw. Taki bhuja pakar gurdeva, legayo tambu e abheva, jatka kareo tas bedjai, rudra parva chaleo tabadhai. Grabbed him the guru by the arm, into the tent took him the lord, inside the tent a fearsome blow, flood of blood, o smiting sword. 
पांच अंग कर सीस सुखाटा रुंड मुंड नी मंकर बाटा पांच सिंह सतगुर इम ल्याए हा हा कार सकल पुरछाए हेक्त गुरु दस हेड्स फाइव हम्बल ट्री शोर्न ऑफ इट्स पॉड्स फॉलोअर्स फाइव द गुरु टुक परटर्ब द पीपल टाउन एट आद्स ऊंच नीच सब ही नर नारी निंदा प्रभु के करें सुभारी इनको कहाँ सिरिर हो गयो अजा सुन जिम सिखन गयो वन मैन हाई बोर्न और लो ऑफ गासिप एंड स्लैंडर अ हीप वट इज मेड हिम रेजोल्यूट टू स्लॉटर सिक्स लाइक डॉग और शीप काली अगम बाड बल भारी इन पे ग्यो ना परगट सहारी उल्टी परी या पर सुभवानी ताते इनकी मत बवरानी possessed perhaps by goddess fierce perhaps it was too much to take perhaps this was the consequence she made him his wits forsake just as the assembly was starting to think that the young guru had taken leave of his senses ute lok yo bhakhi it prab ya bid than niske tambu tate sang sikh sutt than even as these words were said the gurus in his heart resolved from the tent he did emerge with him came the ones evolved the assemblage gasped the five who they had believed had perished to sate the thirst of the guru's sword were alive and well dressed in sparkling robes they seemed to be reborn the mood shifted and the naysayers were silenced all eyes were on the guru and the resplendent five an electric air of anticipation animated the crowd the guru sent for an iron vessel into which clean water was poured in a deeply meditative mood the guru chanted verses from the guru granth sahib and his own writings as he stirred the contents of the vessel with his blade as kotak vekh so sahib ko bipram kirpa bid ye lakh pai mata ke teer gayo tab dhaye ke chhor katha nakh sikh sunai khalsa panth ke aad ar ant ko ye bid ko sun mat so aayi ta samay aan patase dare gan pekh so mahal ko baat alai taat ar mat ki ans bhaye ab ya kar het bhave nikmai the brahman kriparam hastened to mata sahib kor and told her of the birth of the khalsa it was a sublime moment as the guru chanted and prepared a divine concoction that would animate the faithful with the spirit of the gurus and the power of their divine words mata sahib kor infused it with sweetness amrit guru tyar kar kai ardas ki reet thaade karm chakaye ke sanmukh panch suneet nectar of life the guru prepared prayer invoked the lord divine all of the five erect partake in their midst he stood benign paan jod tin ami piyave bol vahiguru mukho kahave panchan kho aise tab deyo naam nagar tin puchan kayo 
With folded hands he bids them drink, Name of the Lord bids them avail, All the five have thus been blessed. Who are they? Whither do they hail? Prathame so kahe naam ki vasi, Sunate ne kaheo sangabnasi, Vase mor lahor daya la, Naam daya singh das kripala, Purav janam lahu tha juhi, Jat sofati khatri suhi, Mukam singh duti bur gayo, Vasi dwar vati janayo, Purav naam dev avatara, Jat so chipe ki avasara, Sahib singh so triti jo kahiye, Bidr sehar ta thaan so lahiye, पूरब सैन नहीं था संत अब भी नहीं जात लखंत चतुर्थ धर्म सिंह अभनासी हस्तनपुरी जवन की वासी पूर्ण जन्म भगत औधन्ना जात जाट की अब सोवन्ना हिम्मत सिंह हठीला गायो वासी जगन्नाथ की गायो पूरब जन्म बद्दख अवतारा जात झीमर की सुखसारा अंग संग सत जुग के संगी Panchan melat jo gur angi. Daya Singh from Lahore, Mokam Singh from Dwarka, Sahib Singh from Bidar, Dharam Singh from Hastinapur or Delhi, and Himmat Singh from Jagannath Puri. North, South, East, and West, drawn mostly from the so called lower castes of the Hindu social order. Was it a delightful coincidence? Perhaps it was divine will. It seemed that the call of the Guru had been answered by the entire subcontinent. Writing about the creation of the Khalsa, Sadar Kapoor Singh quotes Thomas Jefferson, There is a natural aristocracy among men. The grounds of this are virtue and talent. The natural aristocracy I consider as the most precious gift of nature for the instruction, trusts, and government of society. And then Sadar Kapoor Singh asks a question. Did Guru Gobind Singh believe that such an aristocracy, dedicated and consciously trained, grounded in virtue, talent, and in the self-imposed code of sacrifice and discipline of service to humanity, but not by right of birth, such men should group themselves into the Khalsa for the purpose of the instruction, trusts, and government of society? The question is rhetorical. Sardar Kapoor Singh unequivocally believes that Guru Gobind Singh laid the foundation of this aristocracy on that glorious Vasaki day. And I find myself in agreement with him, but I would characterize what Guru Gobind Singh wrought on that day a little differently. I am convinced that every idea in Sikhism can be traced directly back to Guru Nanak. 
Egalitarianism was a fundamental construct of his worldview. Birth did not matter. Service did. Self-sacrifice did. By creating this aristocracy of the humble and the virtuous, Guru Gobind Singh was doing nothing other than delivering what Guru Nanak had promised. This was the logical conclusion and the realization of Guru Nanak's vision. It was an aristocracy, but unlike one the world had ever seen before, for rather than being exclusivist and arrogant, this one was inclusive and humble. Daya Singh, Mokam Singh, Sahib Singh, Taram Singh, Himmat Singh, each one of them the epitome of courage, obedience, and humility, each one of them exalted by the Guru's grace. This aristocracy of the humble and the virtuous was to live by new rules, which the Guru then proceeded to articulate. We turn to Senapati's Gursobha, the earliest account of Guru Gobind Singh that we have already encountered in prior episodes. Senapati, unlike Koyar Singh, does not wax poetic about the colorful ceremony in which the Panjipyare, or the five beloved ones as they came to be known, were initiated. He does, however, document what the Guru said next. Kiyo jad bachani satgur karnakarana sarva sangat ad ant mere khalsa manega hukum sote hovega sikh sahi na manega hukum sote hovega bihalsa panj ki kusangat taj sangat so preet kare daya aur dharm dhar tyage sab lalsa hukana piwe sis daadi na mundave so to vahguru 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 ji ka khalsa speaks the lord who is the primal cause eternal will my sikhs as khalsa be heeds he who my counsel shall be true Careless ones bereft for sure you'll see. Renounce the five, embrace the holy ones. Righteous, kind, and of greed be free. Smoke you won't, nor shave your beard or head. Thus the Lord's own Khalsa shall you be. This is one of the earliest articulations of the Khalsa Rehath, or Code of Conduct. With a startling economy of words, Senapati lays out the new rules as prescribed by Guru Gobind Singh. Amisha, in her work, in praise of the Guru, a translation and study of Senapati's Gursobha, ponders the import of Guru Gobind Singh's declaration on that dramatic day. Falling under the hukum or command of the Guru, Every Sikh is urged to renounce all forms of authority other than the Guru. In contrast to the virtue of the Sangat, or the congregation, the Guru warns his Sikhs to stay away from the Kusangat, or evil company of the five forbidden groups, or the Panjmail, 
Although Senapati does not list these specific five groups, they would have been comprised of the Minnas, a group that disputed the succession of Guru Arjan and placed authority in Prithi Chand, the elder son of Guru Ramdas, the Masands, deputies who represented the Guru in Sikh communities, those who performed Paddar, the ritual shaving of the head, the Tirmaliyas, a group led by Tirmal, the grandson of Guru Hargobind, who did not accept the authority of his brother, Guru Har Rai, and finally those who practiced Kurimar, the killing of a female child in preference for a male child. Apart from the mention of the Panj male, during the initiation itself, there is no reference to any other exclusion based on age, gender, or profession. The author of the Gurbila Aspatshai Dasvi then describes what happened next. The Guru addressed the five who had just been initiated. Tumho moko pirmpeare jamme sis mange the thare tumre saath purab ki bani some dhundath bhayo chalthani tab hankrit man bipan ki na dharke raj hame gurdina ham sam ko jag mein nah raja bahaj rajputan ehsaja बैस सूद्र ए जात अपारा ताको पंथ माह में धारा सब जग राज तोह को दीना पुन बिद सो तुम को गुर कीना जाविद अमृत तुम गुर पायो तैसे मोह मिलाओ भायो ओत पोत गुर सिख जग जानो जैस नोम गुर संग सो मानो I cherish you, I hold you dear, when I ask for your heads here, timeless ancient is our bond, I sought you here and beyond. Let your hearts now swell with pride, the Guru did you kingship provide, in the world king like me none, from the arms of warrior spun, countless men from every caste, make up now this body vast, Kingship yours I grant it now, and before you I shall bow. Bless you I, nectar divine, bless you now and give me mine. Sikh and guru warp and weft, never ever shall be cleft. With these dramatic words, the guru knelt before his five Sikhs and humbly asked to be initiated. This seemingly astonishing act of the Guru prompted Pai Gurdas to declare, Har sache takhat rachaya sat sangat mela, nanak nirbho nirankar vich siddha khela, gur simar manai kalaka khandeki vela, piyo pahul khandhar hoye janv sohela, गुर संगत कीनी खालसा मन मुखी दोहेला वाह वाह गोविंद सिंह आपे गुर चेला fashioned god his throne divine nothing but the holy throng with the sages he discoursed nanak of the formless strong invoked the guru mighty force 
time off the blade to edged is nigh the nectar of its edge imbibe fulfill your life sorrow nor sigh guru and khalsa are one in misery will the prideful lie hail hail o gobind singh master is he and slave to i The new aristocracy was ennobling, but it came with some requirements. We now turn to the Rathnama, or Code of Conduct, prescribed by the Guru for the Khalsa, as described by his beloved court poet, Pai Nandalal. Gur Sikh Rehat Suno Mere Meet, Utt Prabhat Kare Hit Cheet, Vahe Guru Pun Sat Gur Jaap, Kar Isnan Pade Jap Jaap. दर्शन करे मेरा पुन आए अदबसियों बैठ गुर हित चित लाए तीन पहर जब बीते जान कथा सुने गुर हित चित लान संध्या समय सुने रहरास कीर्तन कथा सुने हर जास Oh, six, my friends, to these rules hark rise at dawn in your mind's mark First you'll chant his sacred name, Jap and Jap you shall declaim. Come then to your Lord, behold, with respect sit in his fold. When the day's third watch is past, heed the master's word steadfast. When it's dusk, Rehras, you'll hear, hark, chant and praise the holy seer. The first section of the Code of the Khalsa, as articulated by Pai Nandalal, unequivocally lays out the importance of the daily regimen of prayer, mentioning the Jabji Saab, Jaap Saab, and Rehras by name. Of course, since the Guru was still alive when these lines were written, the importance of being in his presence and listening to his discourse is emphasized, as is the singing of hymns. The Tankhanama, also written by Pai Nandalal, further articulates the way of life prescribed by the Guru to the Khalsa. Interestingly, one of the first sections is about the preparation of the Karaprashad, which every visitor to a Gurdwara is familiar with. कड़ा प्रसाद की बिद सुन लीजे तीन भांत को समसर कीजे लेपण आगे बह कर दीजे मांजन धर भांजन धोवीजे कर स्नान पवित्र होए बहे वाहे गुरु बिन अवर ना कहे नवतन कसिंब पूर जल लेह गोविंद सिंह सफल तिन देह कर तैयार चौकी पर धरे चार ओर कीर्तन बह करे कड़ा प्रसाद दस यूल प्रिपेयर एलिमेंट्स थ्री ऑफ इक्वल शेयर फर्स्ट योर किचन यू शैल क्लीन यूटेंसिल स्क्रब टू स्पॉटलेस शीन बेद एंड मेक योर बॉडी प्योर स्पीक ऑफ द लॉर्ड ऑल एल्स ऑफ जोर पिचर ब्रिंग ऑफ वाटर क्लीन वर्दी दस बाय द गुरु सीन कुक इट टू अ स्टूल देन रेज सिट एंड सिंग द मास्टर्स प्रेज द कपलेट्स दैट फॉलो offer specific instructions to the Khalsa on conducting themselves in various contexts. 
मोहर तुर्क की सिर धरे लोह लगावे चरण कहे गोविंद सिंह सुनो लाल जी फिर फिर होए तिस मरण टू अ टर्क हु बाउस हिज हेड्स एंड सीड्स हिज सॉर्ड डूम टू डाई एंड डाई डिक्रीज द लॉर्ड दिस कपलेट हैज टू डू विद वैलर एंड इंटेग्रिटी व्हेन फेस्ड बाय द एनिमी द रेफरेंस टू टर्क्स एज द मुगल्स वर जनरली रेफर्ड टू हैज टू बी अंडरस्टूड विद नुआंस When these lines were written, the Mughals were the face of oppression. Guru Gobind Singh never harbored ill will towards Hindus or Muslims in general, but he was unequivocal in reiterating the need to fight oppression and tyranny, just as the gurus who preceded him had been. Mai ban ko ave sangat drisht buri de khet is pangat sikh hoye jo karat karod kanya mool na dev sodh di bhain ka paisa khaye kahe gobind singh thak jam khaye sisters mothers sitting amidst evil i don't dare affix those who to anger fall prey lose respect of daughters they daughter sister he who will cheat the devil he will surely meet honesty equanimity calmness self-restraint these characteristics were required by the guru of his followers tyagi bast gehn jo kare bin triya apni sej jo dhare अतिथ वेख नहीं देवे दान सो नहीं पावे दरगे मान ही हु कीप्स दैट इज नॉट हिज सीक्स विद वाइफ अनदर्स ब्लिस लैक्स ही हॉस्पिटैलिटी ग्रेस इन द होम ऑफ गॉड ही हैज नो प्लेस ग्रीड एंड एवरेस वॉज नॉट एक्सेप्टेबल एंड नाइदर वॉज लाइसेंशियसनेस ग्रेशियस हॉस्पिटैलिटी वॉज absolutely expected khalsa soe jo ninda tyage khalsa soe lade hoye age khalsa soe jo panch ko mare khalsa soe karm je saade khalsa soe maan jo tyage khalsa soe jo par triya te bhage khalsa soe par drisht ko tyage khalsa soe naam rat lage khalsa soe gurbani hit laaye khalsa soe saar mu khaaye pure is he who slanders not battle ready no second thought vanquishes the evils five to efface the past he'll strive arrogance he shall abjure for women think no thoughts impure by others thoughts he is not swayed steadfast in the sacred name he stayed forward sacred love he'll feel pure is he who fears no steel it would be no exaggeration to say that in the years that followed this momentous day at anandpur the sikhs came to be known as a brave and chivalrous people there is a direct line that can be drawn from the code of conduct laid down by the guru and that image there were other practical guidelines as well from the gurbilas patshahi dasvi sastra mel gur sabad ko kach ke san sad prem kard rakhni panch e taje na kabhi neem weapons and the guru's word unshorn hair breaches adore 
gird the sword each one of you rules are these forevermore here is the genesis of the celebrated 5k's that the initiated six are required to wear on their person including case or unshorn hair ancient texts such as the Gurbilas Padshahi Dasvi and the various Rehtaname or documents articulating the code of conduct, such as the one by Chopa Singh Chibbar, clearly indicate that on that day, the Guru decreed that his followers would have a distinct appearance as well as a code of conduct. Western scholars of a certain ilk have tried to deny that a clear identity was formulated at this time and attribute the modern identity of the Khalsa, which they deem exclusivist, to early 20th century reformist movements, notably the Singh Sabha movement. The discussion has taken a political tone over the years, and there is a suggestion that the allegedly exclusivist nature of the Khalsa has driven a wedge between the Sikhs, as well as between the Sikhs and other communities. To me, this is a deeply flawed characterization of the ethos of the Khalsa, for it is crystal clear that Guru Gobind Singh was executing a well-thought-through plan that was designed to do nothing other than fully realize Guru Nanak's vision and complete his mission. What did all this really mean? What were the implications of the creation of the Khalsa, and how are they relevant to Sikhs and Sikh identity today? I return to the words of Ami Shah. Apart from the life of Guru Nanak, there is perhaps no moment in Sikh history upon which more scholarly ink has been spilled than the founding of the Khalsa by Guru Gobind Singh in the late 17th century. While many scholars employ the language of rupture and contradiction to explain this development, there is no evidence in contemporary sources to suggest such an interpretation. In fact, in all the sources of this period, the seamless authority of the Gurus is emphasized and the Khalsa is seen as an all-encompassing institution established by the Guru in order to combat both internal and external enemies. Every contemporary source of the period refers to the internal dissension represented by the five forbidden groups, the Panjmail, and the external threats posed by Rajput treachery and Mughal tyranny that threatens the authority of the Guru and by extension the integrity of the Sikh community. Senapati's Sri Gursoba presents Guru Gobind Singh's life and mission not in opposition to the lives and teachings of the previous nine Gurus, but rather as a fulfillment and realization of their legacy. Western and Indian scholars alike have tended to dichotomize Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh. This is the point that Ami Shah makes very eloquently in the excerpt that I just shared. 
apotheosized as an exemplar of Nirgun Bhakti, the teachings of Guru Nanak have found scholarly refuge under the rubric of the Sant tradition. While elements of Guru Nanak's life and teachings conform to Sant patterns regarding the importance of the divine name or Nam, devotion to a teacher or the Satguru, and the company of the virtuous or the Satsang, a more compelling characterization of Guru Nanak as the founder of a new religious community known as the Sikhs that adhered to internal and external markers of identity has emerged in recent scholarship. It is fundamentally important to understand that Guru Nanak was consciously creating a new religious community. This is particularly important now when India is besotted with a muscular form of religious chauvinism that vilifies Muslims on the one hand and tries to deny the very existence of faiths such as Sikhism, Buddhism, and Jainism, claiming them to be mere streams in the vast river of Hinduism. Again, in Amisha's words, the overdrawn characterization of Guru Nanak as a Sant figure has had ramifications for how scholars have assessed the lives of subsequent Sikh Gurus, especially Guru Gobind Singh. This poor, and I would say lazy, understanding of the Sikh faith is not limited to scholars and academics alone. Mahatma Gandhi was known to have characterized Guru Gobind Singh as a, quote, misguided patriot, which obviously drew the ire of the Sikhs. Gandhi offered the following clarification in Young India, dated October 1, 1925. During my visit to Patna for AICC, Sardar Mangal Singh drew my attention to an article in Young India entitled, My Friend the Revolutionary, in the issue dated April 9th last. He told me that many friends were offended because they thought that I had described Guru Gobind Singh as a misguided patriot, whereas I had glorified Krishna. The Sardarji asked me to take an early opportunity of explaining what I meant by passages he drew my attention to. The careful reader will note that my language is most guarded. I have made no positive assertion. All that I have said is that believing every statement made about the heroes mentioned, including Guru Gobind Singh, to be true, had I lived as their contemporary, I would have called every one of them a misguided patriot. But in the very next sentence, I have hastened to add that I must not judge them and that I disbelieve history as far as the details to the acts of the heroes are concerned, my belief about the Sikh Gurus is that they were all deeply religious teachers and reformers. Unlike many modern-day Sikhs, who view the misguided patriot comment by Gandhi to conclude that he was anti-Sikh or disrespectful of Guru Gobind Singh, I simply see it as further evidence of a poor understanding of the Sikh faith and the lives of the Gurus. The Sikh Gurus were deeply religious without a doubt. They were unequivocally reformers as well. 
What Gandhi and countless other scholars have failed to focus on was that the gurus were also deeply conscious of the social and political conditions of their times and unwilling to accept the status quo whenever they saw injustice, oppression, inequality, and tyranny. And this applied as much to Guru Nanak as it applied to Guru Gobind Singh. Senapati, a contemporary of Guru Gobind Singh in Gursoba, clearly sees the unity of thought that runs through all the gurus. Just like Sapta and Balwand, the bards whose writings we encountered in season one, did. Tuhi Guru Nanak hai, Tuhi Guru Angad hai, Tuhi Guru Amardas Ramadas Tuhi hai, Tuhi Guru Arjan hai, Tuhi Guru Hargobind, Tuhi Guru Har Rai Har Krishna Tuhi hai, Nami Pathshai Huete, Kalahi me Kalaraki, Tegahi Bahadar Jag Chadar Sab Tuhi hai, Dasma Pathshah Tuhi Guru Gobind Singh, Jagadke Udarbo ko Ayo Prabhatuhi hai. You are Guru Nanak and Guru Angad too. You are Guru Amardas and Ramdas are you. You are Guru Arjan and Hargobind too. You are Guru Har Rai, Har Krishna are you. In the form of Master Ninth, in this age so bleak, you were Teg Bahadur, comfort of the weak. In the form of Master Tenth, Guru Gobind you, liberator of the world, Lord you are, it's true. Modern scholars like Hugh MacLeod tend to taxonomize our most important historical sources as follows. The oldest texts, such as the Janamsakhis that are mostly concerned with Guru Nanak, are viewed as hagiography, and doubts are cast on their usefulness as historical sources. Yet, the deep connection of the Janamsakhis with the mystic and religious nature of Guru Nanak is used to create an image which de-emphasizes his historical legacy. The subsequent texts that deal with the later gurus, such as the Gurbilas Patshai Chemi and the Gurbilas Patshai Dasvi, with their emphasis on valor and battle are viewed as reactions to the changing political situation, the suggestion being that the lives of the gurus could no longer be contained in the Janamsakhi genre, hence necessitating the creation of the Gurbilas literature. In MacLeod's words, from his work Textual Sources for the Study of Sikhism, during the course of the Guru period, the nature and policy of the Panth underwent a radical change. The early Gurus had been religious teachers preaching the message of the divine name and attracting little or no attention from the Mughal authorities of the time. Guru Arjan, however, died in their custody, and his son Guru Hargobind adopted a more militant posture. This new policy receded after Hargobind's death in 1644, but it was revived as a result of the execution of Guru Teg Bahadur in 1675 and reached a climax under Guru Gobind Singh. In 1699, it was given institutional form in the Khalsa order and has remained a powerful impulse within the Panth ever since. The implication, in Amisha's words, thus, the diverging missions of Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh respectively necessitated different genres. 
McLeod makes a further case for the divergence in the mission of Guru Gobind Singh from that of Guru Nanak's. As the form and dominant philosophy of the Panth changed, so too did its religious perceptions and the literature which gave them expression. The Janamsakis continued to retain a considerable measure of their earlier popularity, but during the 18th and early 19th century, a new approach to the lives of the gurus appeared. This was the Gurbilas, or splendor of the guru style, a treatment which exalted the courage of the gurus and lauded their skill in battle. Inevitably, its opponents concentrated their attentions on the two great warrior gurus, on Guru Hargobind and preeminently on Guru Gobind Singh. The third set of texts are the Rehatnamas or the various instances of the Khalsa Code of Conduct. We have already encountered by Nandalal's Rehatnama in this episode. Amisha very elegantly demolishes the arguments of scholars such as McLeod and Harjot Obroy, who claim that the Rathnamas reflect the exclusivist view of Khalsa identity, which is distinct from other forms of Sikh identity. According to W. H. McLeod, the Rathname literature was not firmly articulated until the mid-18th century, although a, quote, proto-Rath literature can be extracted from earlier Sikh sources. However, for a tradition in which the issue of identity has been of central concern from the time of Guru Nanak onwards, there is no such thing as a, quote, proto-Rehath. There is only Rehath. The articulation of proper behavioral conduct is found in the earliest layers of the tradition. Arguing for the historical antecedents of Rehath, Gurinder Singh Man writes, Given the emphasis on shub amal, good deeds, it is logical that statements about practice or rehath developed alongside the interpretation of Sikh beliefs. I find the positions taken by Ami Shah and Gurinder Singh Maan to be logical and well thought through. Further, McLeod is simply wrong when he claims that the Rehathnama literature developed in the mid-18th century when manuscript evidence proves that the Chapa Singh Rathnama, for instance, dates back to 1700, several modern scholars are of the opinion that Pai Nandalal's Rathnama and Tankhanama were both written while Guru Gobind Singh was still alive. If you're wondering why I am spending so much time on what might be seen as an arcane topic, I assure my listeners that this is very important particularly in a world where our fundamental identity is being challenged in so many different ways. I think Amisha sums up the issue extremely well. One point that emerges from a cursory examination of the association of these literary genres, the Janamsakhi, Rathnama, and Gurbilas, with two gurus in particular, Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh, is that in spite of the genre in question, the authority of the guru and his mission do not change. As bearers of revelation, they are fundamentally concerned with the establishment of dharam in this world. Sharing the same light, these gurus consciously bestow an identity on their disciples 
and actively engage in creating and maintaining their community or sangha. Unlike scholarship that argues that the Janamsakhi literature reflects an inclusive non-sectarian identity, in contrast to the exclusive sectarian identity presented in the Gurbilas and Ratnama literature, the discussion of these genres has tried to argue that these genres share the same concerns regarding identity, community, and an understanding of the Guru. In her paper, Contemporary Evidence on Sikh Rites and Rituals in the 18th Century, Karamjeet Kaur Malhotra debunks the arguments of the likes of MacLeod and Abroy very effectively. A deep dive into her paper is beyond the scope of this episode, but I recommend it to my listeners. Malhotra very effectively places the formulation of Khalsa identity in the early 1700s within the context of Sikh rites and rituals as defined by the gurus who preceded Guru Gobind Singh. She makes a powerful argument that modern Khalsa identity was firmly in place in the early 18th century and concludes thus, the Singh Sabha advocacy of uniform Sikh rites and rituals would have been unthinkable without the legacy of the 18th century. There is a remarkable correspondence between the norms of Sikh rites and the rituals advocated by Sikh writers of the 18th century and the Sikh ceremonies advocated by the leaders of the Singh Sabha movement in the late 19th and early 20th century. issue of identity is an important one for Sikhs, particularly in the context of the events of that Vasaki day in 1699 that this episode has focused on. The implications are profound and widespread, encompassing everything from a very emotional sense of belonging to legal definitions that impact both the governance of modern Sikh institutions and the unhindered practice of the faith in the diaspora. The nub is the question about the Khalsa Rehat or way of life. Is initiation mandatory for Sikhs? Is unshorn hair fundamental to Sikh identity? Are the Khalsa nothing more than a self-described elite and exclusivist sect within the vast umbrella of Sikhism? Before diving into this issue, I would like to offer a clarification. I am a Khalsa, initiated by the Pahul of the Five Beloved Ones. I embraced initiation rather late in life, roughly seven years ago. While I have a deep commitment to the Khalsa Rehat, I am equally committed to Guru Nanak's broad, inclusive, and expansive worldview, which is perhaps epitomized by these words of Sheikh Farid's. Farida Jetu Akal Latif Kale Likana Lake Apanade Girevan Me Sir Niva Kardek 
O freed perception keen, let it tar another knot. Focus on your mantle own, lest with dirt it may be fraught. I firmly and unequivocally believe that it is not for a sick to judge another. Every sick has a direct and personal relationship with the Guru and the Divine. Guru Nanak himself liberated us from the tyranny of intermediaries. During my recent travels, I met Sardar Chiranjeev Singh in Bangalore, a most gentle and erudite Sikh who retired from the elite Indian administrative services and is a well-known figure in literary and cultural circles. During our many conversations, the issue of identity came up and he made a most interesting observation. The 20th century, he said, was a time of cleaving for us Sikhs. First, we distanced ourselves from the Udasis, and then we vilified the Nirmalas. We tried to peg certain sections of the Sikh as, quote, low caste, and tried to distance ourselves from them. We started to look upon Sajdaris, Sikhs who do not observe the full Khalsa, Rehat, or Code of Conduct, as somehow lesser. The 21st century needs to be a time of cohesion. I heartily subscribe to this view. For me personally, anyone who says that he or she is a Sikh, is a Sikh. The rest is between them and the Guru. Yet, we have to be very clear in understanding of what exactly Guru Gobind Singh did on that Vasaki day and its implications. Let me start by quoting Hugh MacLeod again from his work, Six of the Khalsa, A History of the Khalsa Rehat. Not all who regard themselves as six would claim to belong to the Khalsa also, though one should acknowledge that the terms Sikh and Khalsa are increasingly becoming synonymous. It is, however, a distinction which deserves to be retained. This statement may seem fairly innocuous at first, as it seems to accurately capture the present situation, where clearly not all Sikhs observe the Rehat as prescribed by Guru Gobind Singh. Yet, in reality, it is particularly insidious, because the implication is that the status quo is reflective of Guru Gobind Singh's intent, thus making the Rehat the exclusive preserve of the few who choose to embrace it. MacLeod goes on to claim that the Rehat developed in response to the historical circumstances surrounding it and expresses surprise that it retains an unchallenged hold over all who regard themselves as Khalsa Sikhs. I find this claim by a serious scholar of Sikhism to be nothing less than shocking. It betrays a clear lack of understanding of the Sikh ethos and further smacks of lazy scholarship. Rather than relying on the earliest sources to understand the nature of the Rehat and Guru Gobind Singh's intent, MacLeod misdates them, believes them to be unreliable, and thus completely confuses cause and effect. His conclusion is that the Guru never really intended the Rehat to apply to all his followers based on a survey of what the Sikh Panth looks like today. 
This is in sharp contrast to modern researchers such as Dr. Ami Shah and Dr. K.K. Malhotra, who have painstakingly gone to the early sources, dated them correctly, and based on them, presented a much more nuanced view of Guru Gobind Singh's intent. In a world where Sikh religious identity is constantly challenged, particularly in the diaspora, setting the record straight on this issue is hugely important. A view that holds the Rehath to be somehow optional places a great burden on Sikhs who adhere to it and run afoul of, quote, secular laws. We have already examined in season one how Guru Nanak painstakingly built the foundation of the Sikh faith by creating lasting institutions designed to impart a new way of life to his followers. It is useful to revisit this in the context of the present discussion in Dr. Gurinderman's words from his work, Sikhism. Guru Nanak's belief surfaces in the writings of his contemporaries, but he stands apart in his emphasis on the unity of the divinity, a life of personal, familial, and social commitment, and the need for collective liberation. Furthermore, he stands alone as someone who translated the beliefs that he sang in his compositions into the actual founding of a community. To provide his followers with a sense of community, Guru Nanak created institutions of central authority, a sacred text, the Gurdwara, liturgy, and rudimentary rituals. Within his own lifetime, he raised his most worthy disciple to the status of the Guru and helped the community make the transition to new leadership. Senapati has already told us that within the Sikh faith at the time of Guru Gobind Singh, there was a firm belief that the same light animated all the Gurus with the clear implication that they were executing Guru Nanak's master plan. It is in this context that we must view the Rehat of Guru Gobind Singh. Let us now revisit the injunctions that the Guru offered. In Senapati's words, Kiyo jad bachani satgur karan karan sarv sangat ad ant khalsa It is important to note here that the Guru emphasized that the entire congregation, or in other words, all six, would be the Khalsa until the end of time. Manega hukum sote hovega sikh sahi, na manega hukum soto hovega bihalsa, panjiki kusangat taj sangat so preet kare, daya or dharam dhare, tyag sab lalsa, hukkana pive, sis dari na mundave, the Guru thus unequivocally commands every Sikh to renounce all forms of authority other than himself. Nectar of the two-edged blade bequeathed the Guru kind, the Khalsa in directions ten, such glory who can find. He himself bestows the nectar of this double-edged sword to his six, turning them into the glorious Khalsa. Amisha, 
very effectively refutes the argument that the Khalsa was intended to be a martial sub-segment of the Sikh Panth, which scholars like MacLeod have claimed in their research. Senavadi presents an inclusive vision in which the entire Sangat is the Khalsa, apart from the mention of the double-edged sword in the initiation ceremony, there is no special mention of the role played by any weapons or warriors in the establishment of the Khalsa. Far from a presentation of the Khalsa as the formation of a new warrior community, in the Sri Gursobha, the Khalsa is the name of the entire community bound in their loyalty to the one true Guru, Guru Gobind Singh. In this sense, the Khalsa is not simply a metaphor for liberation, but a reference to the actual community within which liberation occurs. Sat Sangat Mool Na Jaanani Gyan Hor Kamaya Oye Sat Sangat Sona Dare Un Man Garbaya Jo Sat Sangat Na Milhi Un Janam Gawaya Hukam Na Maane Khasam Ka Jin Raah Bataya Ji Oye Kapti Hoye Na Khalsa Ke Ta Samajhaya Congregation who abjures, wisdom seeks elsewhere, cavalier and careless he, prideful, foolish, unaware, congregation he avoids, squanders he each day, does not he his master heed from his master's path astray, such a one cannot be pure, foolish he will always stay. Is it any surprise then that in Senapati's words, Guru Gobind Singh emphasizes the very same things as being fundamental to the Khalsa ethos, such as the wisdom of the congregation and the importance of obedience to the Guru that Guru Nanak before him emphasized for his followers. So where does all this leave us? Guru Gobind Singh clearly did something monumental on that memorable Visakhi day in 1699. It is incorrect to view what had happened on that day as a rupture in the fabric of Sikhism as Guru Nanak had defined it or as a radical new direction. It was nothing of the sort. It was just the realization of Guru Nanak's vision. It was a further institutionalizing of the way of life that he had decreed and lived. There is no difference between the Sikhism of Guru Nanak and the Sikhism of Guru Gobind Singh, and the Khalsa is as much the first Guru's creation as it is the tenths. Of course, it is unacceptable to judge a Sikh who does not maintain the Khalsa Rehat and consider him lesser in any way. Yet, let there be no mistake. Khalsa identity is Sikh identity, and no, it is not a modern construct. It was bequeathed by the Guru to the entire body of Sikhs. No boundaries were created on that day in Anandapur. Quite the contrary, the divisions that had roiled society for generations were shattered by the creation of the Khalsa. I conclude with Amisha's words. In his account of the Khalsa, Senapati continually emphasizes that the Guru alone can bestow liberation upon the entire community. Liberation is achieved through meditation on the name and loyalty to the Guru. 
And while Senapati refers to the liberation of soldiers fighting for the Guru on the battlefield, they are not freed by the blade of their sword, but by the Guru's grace. Thus, while scholars have highlighted the role of the teg or the sword in the establishment of the Khalsa, they have failed to situate the importance of teg within a vision that included deg, the cauldron, and fateh, victory. The slogan of deg, teg, fateh, which was on the seals from this period, highlights a Sikh worldview in which the charity of the cauldron is as essential as the power of the sword for justice and victory. The interdependence of the religious and political expressed in the formulations of Deen Dunia and Miripiri has provided a foundation for the Sikh tradition since the time of Guru Nanak. The Khalsa is a complex nexus of relationships and responsibilities that stresses proper living in this world in order to ensure liberation in the next. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of the poem Kultar's Mime, which was adapted for the stage and tells the story of the massacre of the Six in Delhi in 1984. His second book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, set in the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh, was recently published. Both are available on Amazon. The Story of the Six is produced by Almast Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Raga Abhogi on violin by Pandit Praveen Shiolikar. Tabla accompaniment is provided by Supreet Deshpand. The episode features a Shabad or hymn sung by Bai Dharam Singh Zakmi and his ensemble. Season 2 of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, the Sawney Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. In the final episode of the second season of The Story of the Six, surrounded by enemies who swear that safe passage will be given to all who leave, Guru Gobind Singh leads his Sikhs and his family out of the fortified city of Anandpur. He is tested like no one ever has been before him. Thank you for joining us.
ਅੰਮ੍ਰਿਤ ਵੇਲਾ 